Our text this Lord's Day is uh, John chapter 14, verses 27 through 42. I'd like to go back a little bit and to again lay the context for our passage, so I'll, I'll start reading earlier. Starting, if you will, even back at uh, verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had, not gone, had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may, I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I, I per perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, the disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. 
For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. It's, it's, it's sort of a privilege, sort of a joy sometimes to, uh, to watch a master at work. I, I, I'm not much of a skilled craftsman at all. Uh, you know, my first thing when I'm working on a project, I have to remind myself which end of the screwdriver goes into the screw. But it's a, it's a wonderful thing to watch a master at work. You know, and sometimes you'd go to a master class maybe and, and, and see the, a great musician uh, or whatever it might be. Maybe you could watch a, uh, a display. A certain painter was going to be going and, and, and you could watch him painting. Of course, nowadays it's a little easier. We have YouTube. Uh, there's any, anything you watch. You can, you can watch that YouTube and know exactly how it's supposed to be done. Well, John records for us an encounter, some encounters between Jesus and people. And here we get to kind of look over his shoulder and we see a master at work as Jesus interacts with this Samaritan woman. Uh, let's, we, our passage picks up. We've read the context here. And today we get to focus on, first, on the, on, I want to w- focus on the discussion, the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. There's some more in, uh, interacting going on, but right, first notice verse uh, 27 and then 31 to 34. It said, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So remember, they came, as we read earlier, they Disciples went on into the town to buy food, and uh, Jesus stayed by the well. and And the woman came to the well, and you know he he was tired. It it was uh, you know long into the day. They'd taken a nearly thirty mile journey, and uh, he said, uh, "You know, give me a drink." But while he was doing that, the disciples were away. They were going to shop for food in town. Now they've come back, and to their surprise, here is Jesus uh, talking to a woman by the well. In verse 27, at this point, the disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Notice it doesn't say even a Samaritan. The fact that he's talking with a woman is automatically shocking to them. Um, Back then, that wasn't done. For example, um, one of the sayings of the rabbis says, a man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister or daughter on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife, and especially not with another woman on account of what men may say. So just to avoid even the appearance of wrong, you don't even talk to your wife. Of course, if we see one not talking to his wife as we're walking along, that gives an appearance. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, maybe we better go in and rescue this situation. Well, there's another one. Rabbi Josie the Galilean once asked a woman, by what road do you go to Lydda? Only to be rebuked by her, foolish Galilean, did not the sages say this? Engage not in much talk with women? You should have asked by which to litter. In other words, uh, 
if you have to talk to a woman like, to get directions, and that's a whole other story, a man asking for directions, but, but if you have to, use as few words as possible. So if you, she could, you just said which to litter, she would have known you meant which road. So I mean, that, those rabbinic sayings tell us the attitude. And so that Jesus is sitting there, just this woman and himself there at the well having a conversation. Uh, the disciples are stunned. Rabbis don't do this. Here's our rabbi doing this. But it says, but no one said, what are you doing? You know, they did recognize he's the master. He's only going to do it right. But, you know, you could just see them looking and nudging and look, giving each other eyes. What's going on here? Now, if you're looking at your text, that was verse 27. I'm skipping down to verse 31. We'll, we'll come back to the Samaritans. But let's, let's keep on with the disciples here for a little bit. So in the meantime, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus said, I have food to eat, which you don't know. And then against, once again, they're kind of confused and they're looking at each other. Did someone bring him something to eat? Um, and Jesus' response was, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So they offer him food and he, he declines. He said, I have food to eat, which you don't know about. And once again, this is what I call teaching by confusion. What do you mean he has food? Why did, he, why did we go into town to buy food if he already had food? He's not eating. What's going, you know, so he's talking about food, but he's not talking about food. Just like with Nicodemus, he talked about birth, but he wasn't talking about birth. And to the woman, he was talking about water, but he wasn't talking about water. Here he's talking about food, but it's not really food food. It's spiritual food. But again, that's part of Jesus' teaching. He, he speaks in a way like that. I call it teaching by confusion because it makes you ask questions. It causes his listeners to open instead of shut down. What's he talking about? We need to understand. We need to explain it to us. So their first thought is someone brought him food. But that's not the case. And so he then explains, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know, food satisfies our hunger. And so what he is saying is, his food, what satisfies him, what fills him up, is serving God and, and doing his will. So he's not saying he's, he doesn't need food. He is a human. He does get hungry. He does get weak. He needs food. But he's using food as an illustration of that sense of satisfaction that comes. You eat a good meal like we're going to be doing in just a little bit. Uh, there's a sense of satisfaction. And he's saying, my, my satisfaction, what fills me up is to serve the Lord. And if you look closely, and to finish his work. That's an interesting statement. First of all, true obedience finishes the task. It completes what the assignment is. And so if someone goes off and, uh, you know, you, you go and you have your brakes worked on at a car and you come back, we're ready for you, you come in, there are no tires on the car. You didn't finish the job. <laughs> I can't use this thing. Finish your job. And he's saying it's not enough to obey, but to finish the job. Do you remember looking forward to the end of the book when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished. It's the same verb here. 
So all along he's saying, what satisfies me is to serve and obey God. Of course, he's trying to teach the disciples. And every, every child of God, it's the same in our heart. True satisfaction comes when we're where God wants us to be in our life, where we're serving him, where, where we're pleasing him. You know, if, our, if, our, if we try to find satisfaction in, in pleasing the crowds around us, or even pleasing ourselves, a lot of times we're going to find a certain sense of emptiness. But there's something amazing when we can actually serve and please the eternal God. And, and, and Jesus is saying, that's my food. That's my satisfaction. That's what fills me up is to serve and honor the Lord. And so having said that, now let's look. Let's, so he's, he's taken this as a teaching opportunity. The disciples, what are you doing? And he's saying, I'm serving the Father. Well, then he goes on. And, 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 or, but now let's go back kind of in the middle of that between verse 27 and 31. There's this talk about the woman. Verse 28. She left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. So while they're talking about food and serving the Lord, she's feasting on that kind of food. She's doing exactly what the Lord said. If you look carefully, it said she left her water pot. Now, you could have said, he could have said she forgot her water pot. We do that all the time, right? Uh, we get, oh, wait, I forgot my keys. This, this idea of left is she intentionally left it behind because all of a sudden that was un, unimportant. That was why she came. She wanted to get water for the family. And again, I was marvel. Uh, they would carry these, these pots that would hold about five gallons of water and they'd carry it on their shoulder or on their head. Now, if you remember, a gallon of water is about eight pounds. Five times eight, that's 40 pounds. Not, and plus you had a pretty good thickness of clay to hold it. So that was, a, that was a task. And so she came with the empty pot. She's the one who's going to bring water to the, to the home to, for the, to get through the evening's requirements. But all of a sudden, that wasn't so important to her. There was something more important more satisfying. A greater calling than bringing water home was to bring the water of life to the thirsty Samaritans. And so just as Jesus was saying, I find my satisfaction in serving the Lord, the Samaritan woman's doing the same thing. All of a sudden, the water pot, eh, that's unimportant. I've got something better than water to bring home. I can bring home the living water. And off she goes. She's, uh, again, the disciples, it's kind of fun to hear the disciples, their heads are spinning. They're not getting it. The Samaritan woman, she's on task. And she's, her bread and butter is to do the will of God. Well, now back to our disciples, verse 35 to 38. So he says to his disciples, do you not say that still four months Then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. Uh, Now, there's two ways you could take that. One way is to say that was a proverb. You know, four months harvest. The problem is, back then, 
the, the season of growing was six months. You planted seed, six months later was the harvest. So I think what he's saying here is, at this time, it was four months to the harvest season. Now Israel was on some pretty regular, I mean, they had two rainy seasons and everybody, you know, it's an agricultural world. Everybody knew the agricultural seasons. I mentioned on uh, Wednesday night that, for example, if you live in Florida, you know hurricane season. If you know, if you live in Texas and Oklahoma, you know tornado season. Um, if you live in the Sahara Desert, you know hot season all the time. But, but the whole point is, uh, so when Jesus said to them, you know, you say in four months it's harvest. Harvest happened around April, May, or right around Passover. And so what that tells us is, as he, this, this encounter with the, the woman at the well is probably late December. So that's interesting. doesn't help us a lot today, but just to say that's what's going on. But as we, if you're studying the life of Christ, again, that's very interesting. Because back in chapter 3, he was in Jerusalem for the Passover. Spring, April, May, maybe March even. And then after some time there, we're not told how long, then he went down to the river and was baptizing for a while. And now it's December. So in a period of about eight months, we've seen his ministry in one or two chapters here in the Gospel of John. But here he is. It's December. He's talking to the, uh, the Samaritan woman. And he's, now he's talking to his disciples and say, you say it's, you know, four months before the, the harvest season. I tell you, it's the harvest season now. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They are white to the harvest. Of course, that's the whole point. Um, you can, if you knew the grains, it would have a certain look. It would almost look like a, a white or maybe a yellowish, depending on the grain. But there would be this, this look to it. You knew it was harvest time. You know, you can look out on, uh, uh, a, even I could look out on a cornfield, at least if it's kind of young, and say, not harvest time. Um, they're too young. But then you look sometimes and you see the, the, the mature ears and the, the, the yellow hair that comes out the tip of it. That's not the right word. Oh, harvest time. Well, he says, you know the harvest season. But I'm telling you, there's another harvest. Once again, when we talked to Nicodemus, birth wasn't about birth. It was about birth, spiritual birth. To the woman, water. He was talking about spiritual water. To his disciples, food. He's talking about spiritual food. Now he's talking about harvest, spiritual harvest. And I'm saying, it's not four months from now. It's not in the spring. It's right now. Look, the fields are white to harvest. Now remember, we've had that little interruption where right in their conversation, the woman went back to town and she told people and many believed. So what he's saying is, look, they're talk, their eyes are on Jesus and he brought, maybe he signaled over, looked toward town. And here comes the town folk. And it, and it might have looked like a, a big field of white. You know, if, you, if, if you've seen Middle Eastern people, often they wear, you know, white to help keep the heat reflected off. And he said, look, there's a, there's a white harvest coming toward us. There's a harvest. Look. And then in verses 36 to 38, he says, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not labored. Others have labored, you have not entered into their labor. 
Again, what he's saying is, you know, go back to the, the, the harvest. During the harvest season, a lot of people would come in and, and do the work of the harvesting. Uh, people would come in day laborers and they would help with it. Now, the people that are harvesting the crop may not have been the same ones who planted the seed. You know, that was months earlier. And so he's saying, you didn't sow, but you're about to reap. And so there's a great joy in leading others to faith in Christ. He's saying, you're going to get the harvest. You're going to get to bring in the fruit of labors. But others have gone before you and laid, planted the seed. So we might ask the question, who's he talking about? Who are these, uh, who is the one who sowed? Who's the one who planted the seed they're about to reap? There's lots of answers. Some people say, well, the Old Testament prophets, Moses, who wrote the scriptures, the prophets. Uh, Some would say maybe John the Baptist, his preaching was planting seed. Um, Jesus, of course, planted seed to the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan woman has gone out and planted seed. Remember, it was really interesting how she does that. She went out and said, um, I met a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Now, two things. What she was saying is, he obviously has supernatural knowledge. Here comes this guy who's a Jew. He's not one of us. He's not from this area. He's never, he doesn't know me from, I was going to say from Adam. He knows her from Adam. Uh, he doesn't know me from Eve. And yet he could walk through the events of my life. And then she, she's, she's, she knows how gently she presents who he is. Do you think it's the Messiah? No, it's very gently he's making, she's presenting, look, I think it's the Messiah. What do you think? Well, we're told many right then believed. Could it be the Messiah is right here? Let's go see. And others, well, I don't know. Let's go see. And off they march. And, and, and Jesus says, look, here comes the harvest. And you didn't even plant it. Others have. Um, before we move on, a couple questions I'd like to ask you is, um, have you done any planting or reaping lately? Have you planted any seeds of the gospel? Now, again, We've learned, been learning from Jesus. Sometimes we get the idea, I have to give you a full treatise on every aspect of the gospel or I haven't done presented the gospel. Notice how often Jesus would just plant a seed. Like um, to, where the, the full story isn't laid out, but he, he starts the conversation to get people thinking about the Lord. Have you looked for opportunities to do that? To point people to Christ? Remember, Jesus said that was, his, that was his bread and butter. That was his food. That's what satisfied him. It doesn't have to be, again, beating people over the head, but just gently, like this woman, could this be the Christ? Are you looking for those opportunities? Or do you run from them? Uh-oh. Uh, do I have to share Christ with this person? I'm encouraged, too, that notice with a crop, it takes time. Um, The little children, if you've seen them around, they have a glorious Easter tomb. It's covered with grass. There's an interesting lesson in that. You know, of course, they planted the seed, and then they came back, and then they saw the grass had grown. 
Even, now, children sometimes have a problem. You plant the seed and they watch for the grass to come up. And then they get really annoying. Then they start digging in to see the seeds growing and they kind of destroy everything. It takes a certain... But there's a, there's a reality about farming. It takes time. It takes time. So many a project, it takes time. We're more and more unfamiliar with that in our culture. You can cook a full meal in the microwave in three minutes. You know, we're used to now. But there's a reminder here that Jesus is teaching when he uses sowing and, and reaping, sowing and harvesting, planting and harvesting, that a response to spiritual truth might take time. I've shared with you in my own life when I was in college and someone first presented Christ to me and walked me through a whole gospel tract, I'll admit that. Um, at the end of his presentation, my first words to him was, you know, he's kind of like, well, what do you think about that? And I said, I don't know what to do with what you just told me. I don't even know if there's a God. <laughs> I wasn't even at square one. And so he left at that. And then, but that started, that was a seed. And then God planted other seeds. I was kind of uh, hard to reach. But over a series of many months, there was the seed, and there was the watering of the seed, and then there was the coming to fruit and to salvation. It was a several-month process. And so don't be discouraged if you plant that little seed of a thought and then maybe water it. And, you know, but don't be discouraged that it takes time for that fruit to grow. Now, that might be a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, the children you're trying to teach in, in Sunday school. Don't be discouraged. Trust the Lord, but plant the seed and be faithful to plant the seed in water. Some of those little children might do their Sunday school project and, and they come back and complain and say, my grass, either it didn't grow or it, it's all yellow now. Well, did you water it? Oh, yeah, I forgot to So, in other words, we have our task to do, to plant the seed and to water. Well, then, notice how this plays out in verses 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me what all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So that simple testimony of the woman, he told me, could it be the Christ? For that reason alone, several believed. That's an encouragement to me. How long had the Samaritan woman been a believer? Minutes. Maybe a couple hours by the time she had talked with Jesus and then went out. And, and, and her testimony is already bringing people to Christ. You know, sometimes I think we're a little reluctant to share Christ because we might think, well, I'm, I don't know that I can answer all the deep theological questions. What if they ask me this? What if they ask me that? And so some people will run from one seminar to another so they get all the answers, and then no one even asks them. <laughs> but, they're, but they're afraid. What if someone asks me something I don't know? I've come up with an answer that... that may not always satisfy, but I'm, I'm ready to use in a situation like that. What I tell them is, I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm not afraid of saying, well, that's an interesting thought. Well, maybe I'll look into that. Maybe I'll ask someone. You know, don't be afraid. But, but, I, I, but notice what, what was so effective for her was she told how she came to know Christ, Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. I met him. I talked to him. He showed me my heart. And so sometimes the most, like what, sometimes uh, what I have used in a very gentle way is to just talk about the assurance of salvation. Uh, maybe I remember talk, sharing Christ with, gently with someone one time and, and I just said, I know, for, I know where my mother is. I know she's with the Lord in heaven because she trusted Jesus Christ as her savior. For a lot of people, that can even be shocking. How can you know you're good enough? I'm not saying she was good enough. I'm saying she believed in the promises of one who is good. But you see right there, you know, that might lead to, but that's a simple testimony. Like the, 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 that I have assurance of salvation. I know in this very unstable and uncertain word, world, I have the most important certainty of all. I know I'm going to be in heaven with the Lord forever. I might ask you that question. Do you have that certainty? Are you assured of that? It's not something you can earn. You could never be good enough. It's a gift. Our forgiveness and, and, and the righteousness of Christ is given when we trust in him as Savior. Barb and I, have, have, we're, we're kind of, um, we're, we're watching the movie as we read, go through the Gospel of John. <laughs> we're watching the Gospel of John movie, but we're also watching the Chosen series. Now, they fill in a lot of blanks. They have a whole episode on, on what Jesus' ministry in, in Samaria was like. It's not here. But there's some great lines in there. Anyway. Like one of the ones I like is John is talking with Jesus and, and talked about, you know, he, John has been convicted of a sin, and he says, well, who was worthy? Um, and, and then he turns to Jesus and says, you are. Uh, and, 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 and then it's wonderful. And, and Jesus responds by saying, I'm a man. And he says, yes, but more. And then Jesus turns and looks at him and says, I am that I am. Boom. That's what God said at the, at the burning bush. What a statement. You know, um, so, so here's my point. It's not that we can be good enough. It's that Christ can forgive enough. And he can forgive every one of us, anyone who will turn and trust in him as Savior. So, but you can give that testimony, as the woman did. You don't have to have all the answers. Uh, but point to your knowledge of Christ. Are you, are you pointing people to Christ? If I can tell another story, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a, a famous preacher named Alexander White. Um, he had a large church in Edinburgh, Scotland. During that time, a salesman by the name of Rigby, Mr. Rigby, would travel to Edinburgh regularly to, to hear him preach. He would, you think about that, there was a time when preachers weren't on the radio or internet. Uh, instead of listening to sermons, they would read them in the newspaper. But anyway, he would, go, he would make a point of traveling to Edinburgh so he could hear him preach. He would often invite other businessmen to accompany him to, their, to the services. One Sunday morning, he asked a fellow traveler to go to church with him. Reluctantly, the man said yes. When he heard White's message, he was so impressed, he returned with Rigby to the evening meeting. 
As the preacher spoke, the man trusted Christ as a savior. The next morning, as Rigby walked by the home of Pastor White, he felt impressed to stop and tell him how his message had affected the other man's life. When White learned the caller's name was Rigby, he exclaimed, You're the man I've wanted to see for years. He went to his study and returned with a bundle of letters. Alexander White read Rigby some excerpts, all telling of, the, of changed lives. They were men Rigby had brought to hear the gospel. And so he had no idea. He was just bringing people to church with him. But they were hearing the gospel and trusting Christ. Then they would write back to Alexander. They didn't tell Rigby. <laughs> but they were telling Alexander White. And, so, and Alexander White kept getting these letters. And he keeps seeing the name Rigby. Who is this guy? Um, and then when he finds out he's in his parlor wanting to visit, you're the man. Maybe that's the first time that expression was used. You're the man. And he ran and got these letters and said, look, look, look at what you've been doing. You see, what they did, what he did was he, he, he found someone who's preaching, ministered to him, and he said, here, come, I just want you to hear, come in here. And I'm sure some people went and said, eh, now where's the lunch you promised me? But some, a seed was planted. A seed was planted. We can do that. Each of us can do that. Each of us can do that. Well, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Again, if, if we're familiar with the context, that is absolutely shocking. Samaritans and Jews have been in conflict for hundreds of years. They've gotten along for hundreds of years. It got so bad that uh, over 100 years earlier, the Jews had gone in and, and destroyed the Samaritan temple. And there was just constant conflict. It was shocking to them that Jesus would come and minister him. It's amazing that they would ask him to come and stay for two days. It's amazing. He said, yes. This is a, this is a miracle of God at work. And he did. And it says many lives were changed in the process. He stayed there two days. Many believed now because of him. Many had believed because of the Samaritan woman's testimony. But now others are hearing his teaching and trusting in him as Savior. That's amazing. But that's God's work, the Holy Spirit. As I was thinking about this and, and, and thinking of the, this hostility, Within the land of Israel, this division between Samaritans and Jews that, that had gone on for centuries. And here we see it, it, it disappearing in moments as Jesus walks into this town and shares Christ, shares himself. It kind of struck me, isn't that, when I look at our land, in, in my lifetime, this has to be one of the most divided times of our nation. And it occurs to me that, that we need what the Samaritans and the Jews needed. We need for Christ to bring people together. You know, some of the ministries uh, I've had in, 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 in being overseas and being in other cultures, that we're, people that are so very, very different. It's always amazed me when we're in Christ, we're family. 
I remember, you know, when I was there for a couple of years, a few years ago, and spent a couple of weeks in the in Nepal teaching at the school there, and I lived in the pastor's home, and we would talk and talk about church issues, and it was amazing. Different language, different culture, different backgrounds. It was amazing. We kept marveling how it's so it's all the same, because man is basically man, God is basically God. The issues are basically all the same. But, but here we are, family, separated by all kinds of things. Time, space, culture, language. And yet brought together in Christ. And so, when I, I, I think that's something, as we think of a need of our land, you know, we can talk about which political party or which politician or which this or which that. You know what the greatest need is a changing of hearts by Jesus Christ. I can't remember what country it was, but I remember hearing the story. I think it may have been Wales. The gospel broke out in a mighty way. They had a custom back then, you know, in the court, which was all, you know, if you've ever seen a court, ever had to deal with something in a courtroom, it's, it's amazing how you can wait for hours and hours and hours. But they had this custom in this land, if there was no business before the court, the judge would come out and put a white glove on the bench. And that would be the clue of, what a good thing. No one has to stand before a judge today. The amazing thing is when the gospel came into that community, it was a constant thing, occurrence. The judge would have to come out and lay the white glove. The community was turned upside down because the gospel had had such an impact. We, I think we live in spiritually and morally dark times. What we need is not a better darkness. We need the light of Christ in the hearts. We have something that people need. And we need to plant the seeds. If, and, and, and if that's true, as I thought more about that, if that's true of our nation, sometimes our, our families are divided. Sometimes our marriages are divided. What's the best way to bring them together? Unity in Christ. Unity in Christ. Well, verse 41 says, many more believed because of his own word. His preaching brought many to faith, even as well as the woman. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said. We ourselves have heard him. We know that this is true, that he's indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Notice, they know who he is. See, that's the issue in the gospel. We're not telling people to be more polite. We're not telling people to be more moral. Uh, We're not telling people to give to the church. We're telling people about a person. And the center of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Who is he? And they say, we now know who he is. And notice what they say. He's the savior of the world. That's the same message that Nicodemus was told. God so loved the world. That's, that was the message to the Jew. Here it is, the same message to the Samaritan. You know what they're getting? And, and, what, and I'm emphasizing that. A Jew has just come to the Samaritans and given them the same gospel he's giving the Jews because he's the savior of Jew and Gentile Samaritan alike. It's the same gospel. It's the same gospel. And so they recognize that. His, his gospel reaches everyone. If you think about it, the welcome of the Jews is quite a contrast to the welcome by the Gent- the. The welcome among the Gentiles is quite a contrast. 
Nicodemus and Samaritan woman. Remember, I gave you that assignment. Look at the two of them. See how different they are. Look at the Jewish response compared to the Samaritan response. In the Jewish response, when Jesus was before Nicodemus, Nicodemus said, you've got to be from God because of all the miracles we've seen, the signs. But with all that, still, most of the people in Jerusalem didn't believe. Nicodemus was wrestling. Even with miracles and the preaching of Christ, there was a deadness and a non-response. In Samaria, two days, the place lit up. Nicodemus, the pictures of salvation, birth, water, very similar. The issue is the same. You need a heart work to be right with God. Did Nicodemus come to faith? We're not exactly told that in John 3. I think he did because of later on he, he takes the boldness of uh, caring for the body of our Lord after his death or, or, and, 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 and that ministry there. That was risky. But he was quiet. He, he, he was restrained. He was careful. The Samaritan woman? The exact opposite. She couldn't wait to tell people, I met Messiah. Nicodemus? Restrained. What a contrast. Her profession, her faith led to a, a, a broad profession. Nicodemus, he was, he was in the secret service. <laughs> he, he was a secret saint. Which are you? Which are you? The Jews had miracles to convince them. You know what? You notice one thing that's amazing? In Samaria, not one miracle. Not one miracle is recorded. And that's a good reminder to us. Sometimes we feel like, um, um, you know, oh, oh, we need miracles. Uh, and that's what's going to lead people to Christ. Remember, the, the Jesus told about the man who uh, he went to torment. And he said, Jesus, send someone to go and tell my brothers. And Jesus, re, you know, response, you know, if someone comes back from the dead, they'll believe. And Jesus' response was, if they won't believe the Bible then miracles aren't going to convince them. It's a heart change that's needed. And I think this whole bit story of the Samaritan response, I think what it is is to say, it's a, that's a, it's, it's a reproof to the Jewish people. You know your Bible. I think I shared with you when, when I was uh, in Israel, one of my Jewish friends to me, I mentioned something about Isaiah to him. And he said, oh, Isaiah, yeah, we call him the Christian prophet. Christ is so, and it's like, well, <laughs> he's your, it's your book. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but that's how clear it is to them. No, thank you. And when you see the Samaritans saying, please, please, we want him. Again, it's not the miracles, it's the power of, of the gospel. Corey Ten Boom had a little illustration of that. A woodpecker tapped with his beak against the stem of a tree, just as lightning struck the tree and destroyed it. He flew away and said, I didn't know there was so much power in my beak. <laughs> when we bring the gospel, she said, there is a danger that we will think or say, I have done a good job. Don't be a silly woodpecker. Know where your strength come from. 
It's only the Holy Spirit who can make a message good and fruitful. Good words from Corey Ten Boom and a reminder. It's not your strength. It's not your wisdom. Understanding the power is in the seed of God's word. And it's God, it's God the Holy Spirit that works in the heart to bring it to life, to, to make the light shine, to bring the, the amazing occurrence that, that, that brings that light, that, that seed to light. You know, I like to consult different theologians at times to, to get some insights. Linus in the penis cartoon has, and, 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 and Lucy had a conversation. Lucy said, I would have made a good evangelist. You know that kid who sits behind me at school? I convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. Linus said, how'd you do that? I hit him with my lunchbox. That's not the strategy. <laughs> but telling people the most effective way to start is, he changed my life. I met a man who told me all about myself. I've met the Lord, and my life has never been the same. Do you know him? That's something you could say as you talk to people, and that's something I would say to you. Do you know Christ as Savior? These Nicodemus and the Samaritans, they were all about religion and ritual and externals. But Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman heard the same story. It's not about those things. It's about the heart. Have you trusted Jesus Christ and begun a heart relationship with him? If you need some help in that, we'd be happy to talk. If you know Christ as Savior, time to leave the secret service and start sowing some seeds in a very needy world. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and his, his compassion for us. Thank you for allowing us to watch him in action today. And Father, how I pray that we would be faithful servants to, to put out the seed of the gospel that that others might know the joy of knowing you as we do. And Father, I do pray. I pray for a dark land that the light of the gospel would shine again. Father, I pray for our needy marriages and our needy homes that the light of the gospel would heal. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.